Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast. Yes, we changed the name from Citizen Hustle Podcast to the Health and Wealth Podcast. That's W-E-L-L-T-H. That was actually Dr. Jessica Gall's idea. That name suits us much better. The topics are still the same. It's still about health, wellness, performance, and all things self-improvement. In this episode, we interviewed Zana. That's like genre, but genre. So Zana, I think I'm saying that correct. It was an amazing interview. She is a life coach, mainly for dentists, but all high-performing professionals. She really helps you adjust your belief system into creating more of an effective plan to achieving your goals. So if there are there goals out there that you have that you're just not making progress towards, she's a perfect person to work with. She runs the company No Stress DDS, and she's absolutely the person you need to talk to if you want to move forward and achieve more of the goals. All right, guys, you're going to love this episode. And Jana, thank you again for an amazing interview. I wish we could have like a secret sign. I know, like... <laughs> He's <laughs> a car. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, I guess we'll just get yeah, roll with Yeah, I'm this. not worried about it. Okay. Zana. Oh. No. Zana. Zana. So, Zana, I'm Jana. not even going to attempt to pronounce your last name. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's And my husband took my last name. So, can you imagine, poor guy? Poor American so, guy. So, how do you say your last name? <laughs> Konovalenko. Konovalenko. Yeah, I see. It's actually, it's not that hard. Like, it's how you spell yeah, it. Yeah, so say Dr. Konovalenko is actually so much easier to say than your first name. How funny. Everybody calls me Dr. Yeah, Dr. K. K. Like, that's... So... Yeah, I've always been... Is it common uh-huh. in Ukraine for the man to take the woman's last name? No, okay. not at all. I mean, he's not Ukrainian. Okay. He's he's American. He just decided to take your last name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just like not not particular planning or anything like that. We we're just in the kitchen talking. We were thinking to not change our last names because he's a physician. You know, I'm a dentist, and I'm like, well, we have our professional licenses and stuff like that. It's so much hassle, so much headache. And we're like, maybe we'll combine them. We're like, no, too long. Okay, we'll just keep our name. And then he just offered, hey, how about I, I take yours? I'm not particularly attached to mine. I'm like, yeah. really? <laughs> Can you sign here on the dotted line? <laughs> Can you confirm that statement? And, and then it was just, I helped him do all the paperwork. And so it's nice. kind of thing. Very yeah. good. <laughs> no, very Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. So let's get into yeah. it. Because you... Okay. Me and Dr. K, I'm going to say that, talked on the on the there phone you yesterday. Yeah. And you said something that I'm still yeah. thinking about 24 hours later, that if your brain oh, cool. sees earning money as hard or hard work, you're going to actively mm-hmm. seek out hard ways to make money. So before exactly. we dive into that, you are a life coach and... Tell yes. us what coaching is, because your example yesterday was amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thanks. First of all, thanks for oh, having absolutely. me. Um, and yeah, so my name is Jana Konovalenko. I am a certified life coach and a board certified orthodontist. And I'm a CEO and a founder of No Stress DDS. It's a coaching program for dentists where I help them practice with less stress and more confidence. So a lot of people are still a little bit confused about what coaching is, especially for doctors, for dentists. Um, And there's so many definitions. So I told you one yesterday, but this is actually a good example that I recently um, gave to someone, which really explains what it is about. So imagine you decide to get healthy and you want to start running in the morning. So you set your alarm clock for 5 a.m. The alarm goes off and you don't want to get out of your bed. So warm and it's calling your name, that's where I come in. That's when life coaching comes in and helps you create that habit and do whatever you, you need to do to get to your goal. And the, so uh-huh, go ahead. is that one of the common things people come to you? Do they say like, I hit snooze all the time? 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how um, so I work with most mostly with dentists and they typically come with something related to dentistry, right? Like dealing with demanding patients or leadership, you know, help with uh, managing their team or, um, you know, practice transition, selling practices, acquiring practices. And there's a lot of stress around it. And then we it, literally in a month, we fix that problem. And suddenly, you know, they want to work on their fitness or marriage or other goals, which were kind of hiding behind that major stressor in their life. So yeah, I end up uh, helping people improve their habits, lifestyle, everything like so that. So why do people have these goals? And why are they not able to achieve them? Yeah, that's a good question. Change is, is hard, right? Like how hard it is for yourself to to get yourself to do something. And everyone is, you know, constantly talking about motivation and how can you get inspired. And we're just scrolling through all of the, you know, social media to read something to get motivated or inspired. But there is actually a science behind that. But we're not taught that, you know, like where in our educational system, somebody sits down and says, this is how you create habits. This is how you create motivation. This is how you overcome obstacles. We're just never taught that. So I think it, it is something that we simply don't know how our brain operates, which honestly is just the one big computer that we're not given the manual to. And coaching helps you create that manual. So starting from baseline, how do you start to develop a habit that gets you closer to your goals? Yeah, so, well, first you you want to sit down and really decide why do I want to get that done? You know, like that intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. What drives me? Why do I really want to get that done? And you want to really clean up all the shoes, have to, must to. What I'm talking about is, you know, people say, well, I, I need to lose weight. I should lose weight. I need to get healthier. I, you know, I should make more money. Well, there's nothing you should or have to or must do in life, really. These are all your choices. And realizing that this is a choice and not something put upon you is already a first step feeling a little bit less pressure and like, oh, okay, I have some control. I have some saying it. So if this is something I want to do, why do I want to get that done? And then you look at your reasons, you know, these will be big key factors creating that motivation, right? That, you know, the list of whys that will keep you going there. And once you have that, you need a plan. So we're going to create, you know, we're going to brainstorm a list of all the actions that you need to take to get to your goal. You'll get that plan. You'll schedule it in your calendar. And now this is the best part where coaching comes in when it's time to execute and all your excuses and all your emotions will come up. What do you do? That's where coaching comes in and teaches you how to respond back to your brain, how to literally talk to you, how to process these thoughts and emotions and resistance that comes in in that moment and get it done anyway and how to get that done that would that takes months yeah. to explain <laughs> so i wouldn't be able to do it months so, yeah it's a practice i feel like some people come with the wrong reasons for achieving a goal and that's one of the reasons why they can't accomplish it yeah yeah i think so because like look at our lives we live such busy lives there's so much going on you know that how much time do we have in a day to like slow down and think there's no room to think there's so much going on we're constantly reacting to something and we are end up doing things or living lives because well that's how everyone is doing you know that's how the expectations that other people put on us well that's what's safe that's what's secure but we never actually slow down and think is that really what i want you know, is that what's in my core? That's where all this self-sabotaging comes and all this resistance is because people never face themselves and their true core desires. That's frightening about the self-sabotage because how many people are yeah. self-sabotaging and they don't know it and then they're frustrated they're not achieving what they want out of life? Yeah. How can you turn the mirror back on yourself and see that you're self-sabotaging? How do you turn oh, can it you back? Hear, did we break up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you oh, repeat sure. the question again? How do you turn the mirror back on yourself and know that you're self-sabotaging? Oh, well, that's very simple. You're not achieving results that okay. you want. So, you know, results don't lie. If you're not getting the results you want, 
you're most likely self-sabotaging. Yeah, you're not taking the action that you need to take in order to get there. And why are you not doing this? There's got to be something you're thinking that creates some emotions that drive you in the opposite direction. A lot of the times it's self-sabotage. So if somebody comes to you and you see that they're self-sabotaging, how do you help them escape mm -hmm. that? Yeah, you know, I don't love the word escaping. I love the word taking control, clarity, and empowerment. Really, once you clearly see what your brain is doing, the solution becomes so obvious, it smacks you in the face. So we really slow down on and look at, okay, what is your goal? What do you need to do to get there? What are you doing right now? Where's the disconnect? And the disconnect is always, we call it in coaching, in a thought error. There is something you are thinking about achieving it or going about it that is simply not serving you. That what I love the most about coaching is that we grew up in the world where things are right or wrong, bad or good, right? I'm doing the right thing. Coaching says there's no such thing. There are things that are useful for you, they're serving you, and they're not. So it kind of takes off the, a little bit that judgment and that pressure off. So we're simply just looking, what is it that you're thinking that is not creating what you're trying to achieve? So let's find something that you equally believe is true, but drives the action that will take you to that goal. I'm, I'm so interested sense? in this. So let's get more <laughs> granular if we can. Um, I guess I'll get yeah. personal. I, I would like to make more money. I would love to make more money. Um, yeah. One of the struggles maybe a thinking and an error in my thinking is I run a fee for service practice and I think mm -hmm. it's difficult to get a lot of new patients fee for service. Yeah. So just in that little, we'll call it like a thought download, like you're, you're giving me your thoughts about the air, the, the area that you're trying to achieve the question. And as a coach, I was telling you before the call too, is my job is to really listen to your thinking and find the patterns, find the thoughts that are not serving you. So the thought you just told me that it's really difficult to find patients who are FIFA service, that sentence alone, that's, that thought is not serving you. Now, here's the tricky part. You think it's true. In your head, you think it's a fact. And the worst part is if you talk to a bunch of your colleagues, they'll probably agree with that. So they will further justify that this is the truth. And if you believe that something is true, this becomes your reality. So your brain, this computer, will go and look for evidence in the world to support your belief. So what I mean by that is if you just you literally just think you're observing the facts, yeah, it's hard to get people that pay me cash without insurance. So you will go in the world and you will look at your day. Yeah, how many people we had today that you know didn't have dental insurance? So few. Yeah, it's so hard. You're gonna talk, go talk to your body. You're gonna Google some articles, and you keep your brain keeps looking for bias towards the thought that it's hard to get to find clients, find patients who are fee for service. So in order to change that, we will need to change your belief system, your thought that it is easy maybe actually easier to find patients who are paying out of pocket. And this is how you do it because at the beginning, the idea that it's easier is laughable I'm laughing. because you don't yeah. believe it. Obviously, right? <laughs> exactly. It's laughable it, because if you believed it, you would have plenty of these patients, but you don't. So you want to start poking holes in that thought. That thought is not a fact. So facts is something that is neutral and objective in the world. I always say that a fact is something that anybody in the world would agree. So do you think there are dentists in the world who have successful practices and they have mostly patients who are paying out of pocket? Yeah, there has to be some out there. Right. And do you think these doctors think it's hard to get patients who are FIFA service? I don't know what they think. Take a guess. I would say if they have a successful fee-for-service practice, they think it's not hard for them because they're doing it. Right. So what's the difference between you and that person? That's the million-dollar yeah. question. 
And the difference is in the way you look at this problem. They don't look at this the way you're looking at it. They don't see it as a problem. They found a way to see it as an advantage. And if you put your brain into work, your brain is a computer, your brain, my brain, every brain is just a computer that doesn't care how we feel. Its only job is to solve problems. It solves problems based on the questions you ask it. So if we ask a question, how is it easier to find patients that are fee for service? If you literally sit down after this call and take a piece of paper and write down how is it easier to find these people, your brain would come up with ideas. And you start coming up with ideas and then you start implementing these things and you start testing it. And as you start implementing, you will start having more patients that are fee for service and it will start changing your belief system or maybe it's not as difficult, you know, because right now you're thinking, oh, it's difficult, but for some people it's not. That's already poking holes in your belief system that it's difficult to find patients that are paying out of pocket. Then you'll start thinking, well, if it's possible for other people, maybe it's possible for more people. Maybe it's possible for me. Maybe it's probable for me until you get to the point where I'm fee-for-service dentist. So you grow through this belief and you take enough action to find evidence in the world until this becomes reality. So as a way to maybe change your belief or a not affected belief is through seeing results through your actions or how would I start changing my belief system? Yeah, so you have to find something that is believable towards the goal that you want to achieve. That's why I was giving you an example how right now you don't believe that uh, finding patients that are FIFA service is possible for you, but it's possible for other people. So you can start experimenting, literally trying on thoughts like dresses. What if it was possible for me to have more patients that are FIFA service? Do you think it's even possible for you to have that? No, it's not. How does it feel? Yeah, not impossible. Oh, sorry, not impossible. Right. Yeah, so you feel like it feels true in your body that it's not impossible that you would have more patients that are paying out of pocket. Is that true? Correct. Okay, so that's already a thought towards that direction of creating patients that are FIFA service. There's small nuances how you build up that belief by slowly chipping away from where you are right now. So if it's possible for you, then the next question you can ask is, how is it possible for me to have more patients that are paying out of pocket? Let's say, what's the, what's the breakdown right now in your practice? How many patients are you know, insurance and how many patients are well, cash? All my patients are fee for service. I don't participate with insurance. Okay. But I guess the- Okay, so you already yeah, believe I, that I, then. I, I, <laughs> I guess- Oh, but you want more? I guess more? the belief is that if I'm averaging a certain amount of new patients a month, my belief system is it's a lower number because I'm fee-for-service. It would be higher if I participated with insurance. Oh, I see what you're saying. So your thought is, you know, if I, I don't know what's your revenue, but let's say I'm making a million dollars a year, but it's harder for me to make two because I'm fee-for-service. That's service. the belief, correct. So that's how you're using your own evidence against okay. yourself. And with coaching, how I would coach you, because I'm literally starting to coach you on the I feel call, better already. I would poke <laughs> Yeah, this <laughs> I would poke holes in this theory because, okay, well, first of all, some people think it's impossible to make a million dollars and with patients that are paying out of pocket. Like how are they gonna even find these people? And you already disproved that this is true for you. So if you can make a million and you know how to make that then you just have to rinse and repeat and double your efforts to make two. So let's just do what you're doing, but put it on steroids. Let's do a double. Whatever marketing you're doing, let's double it. Whatever is working, let's double it and see what comes out of it. But what is your thought do about you that? Do you find that more people would rather reconfirm their belief system than achieve their goals? Of yeah. course, because it's scary to try anything new because of the fear of failure. Yeah, of course, you know, everything we do or don't do is because of an emotion we're trying to feel or avoid. So there is a reason why you want to increase your revenue. 
because you think you will, you can fill in the blame, tell me what's going to happen, but it will always go to some sort of emotion. And if you don't have very strong emotional resilience, you know, a good grasp on your emotional life, then you will be shaping your reality towards more safe space. There's actually a term for it. It's called motivational triad. It's how our brains develop. They develop to do only three things, seek pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. So that's what keeps us in that safe space, under the covers, eating something yummy, watching Netflix. It's the least amount of effort and the most amount of pleasure. <laughs> Doing anything out, getting out of bed is potentially going to kill us, so we don't want to do that. So yeah, attempting to change your belief and go after your goals, that's a scary thing because there's always a possibility of failure. And we as humans are conditioned to make failure mean something so terrible and just so negative that we're afraid to experience that emotion. How does one develop yeah. emotional resilience? That's a wonderful yeah. question. <laughs> You'd in probably in a, if I had to um, say it in a couple of words, it would be you learn how to allow any emotion and process it without it affecting your life. Can you give me an example? That would be the. Yeah, like for example, failure. The most successful people actually have the highest failure tolerance. So most of us don't have very high failure tolerance. We are afraid of failure. We like to make safe bets. You know, whenever we're deciding on something, um, so, I mean, and I'm not talking about lunch. Let's say when you're buying, when you're making decisions about your business, what's the percentage of certainty you want to have before you make that investment? What would be me the number personally? It's like close uh -huh. to 100. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's very normal for the majority of people. But I actually read a recent article about uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, the former CEO of mm -hmm. Amazon. And he said that the way he, you know, very successful guy, <laughs> and he makes serious business decisions when he is 40% sure. He says 40% is more than enough. 40% sure? Sure, let's invest a billion. Not a problem. We lose it, we learn. And that is actually the thinking behind the most, the ultra successful people. They think about decisions that are make them lightly, but they think fast. They don't wait until they're 80, 90, 100% certain. They make a decision and then they learn from the outcome. If they win, you learn actually less. If you fail, they don't use that failure as the end to the means. They're like, oh, okay, this is just a stepping stone. I'm going to make another decision and I'm going to learn again and again and again. That is actually a very good example of why AI is learning so much faster than humans. You know, artificial intelligence, it doesn't have any emotions attached to failure. We do. When it tries something, oops, wrong door, I failed, let's try something else. It remembers, okay, don't go there. Now we're going to try something again. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, remember, don't go there either. Let's try something again. And it learns from it very quickly and it tries again very quickly without making it anything mean about itself. It doesn't have a concept of self. We do. We attach our self-worth to failure and we're making it mean, oh my gosh, such a tragedy. You know, it's worst case scenario. What's going to happen? We go down the rabbit hole and we're just afraid to experience all of these emotions and all of these things that are going to happen to us. So we don't attempt a lot of things. And that's how people live smaller lives than they're capable of. But emotional intelligence, the resilience helps you process any emotions without any significant effect on your life. You will still feel it. Like that's actually what I teach my clients to, to do, how to process any feeling. Any, any emotion is simply a vibration in your body. That's all that it is. But we are so afraid to feel certain emotions like, terror or shame or guilt or, or failure. There are such strong emotions that we're trying to avoid them. When in the reality, it's just, you know, a little bit of pit in your stomach, a little bit of sweating, a little bit higher heart rate. You know, your eyes might get dry. You know, your throat is a little bit dry. It's not a big deal. You can, you can feel that and move on. You can accomplish a lot doing that. So it sounds like the only way to increase your tolerance to failure is you actually have to fail feel that feeling mm -hmm. and like you said realize it, it doesn't kill you yeah yeah because emotions have never killed anyone that's a big secret 
<laughs> actions yeah. do. Emotions don't. That's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, we always think something terrible is going to happen if we let ourselves feel down or sad or mad or angry. But as long as we don't act on that emotion, nothing terrible is going to happen to you. You're not going to fall in this deep hole and can never get out of it. That emotion may linger there for some time. Sometimes it may take even two weeks to process serious shame, but it will go away. And you're going to be so much stronger on the other side. The relationship you develop with yourself, when you don't avoid emotions, you don't hide from them, but you go through with them, that relationship is everything. Because you learn to have your own back no matter what, and you stop being afraid living life, and you start living life a lot bigger. What are the, some of the ways you teach your clients to deal with these emotions? Let's say I make a decision. So me personally, you don't know this, but earlier in my career, I was business partners. We split and I lost a significant amount of money. Um, and I felt shame mm -hmm. for a very long time. How do you coach your clients to deal with these very negative emotions? Yeah, I actually looked at the at your podcast and I saw something how I ended up in the bottom 5%. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a great episode. <laughs> Everyone needs to listen to that. First of all, even the strengths and vulnerability to create something like this, you know, it takes a lot of guts. But to answer your question is what happens when you have, you know, so much shame, you actually are an expert on that because you get out of it. So you tell me first before I tell you how I teach my clients. I'm curious how you did it. Did you have any help or how did you, did you do it on your I own? Just, I kept telling myself this feeling won't last forever. I'll be totally upfront. It lasted for about a year. I My podcast knows this. Mm -hmm. I lost $250,000, which is significant. Mm -hmm. And for a good year, I would feel terrible about it. And eventually it just faded away. But doing this podcast was a huge help too. Yeah. And so why did you feel like it was terrible to lose $250,000? Um, I'm the breadwinner of my family. I have four young girls. Mm -hmm. My family relies on me. And a lot of my identity was tied to mm -hmm. provide and protect. And by losing that much money, I felt like I failed at both. Yeah. So remember how I, I quickly mentioned how we are most afraid of emotions when we tie our self-worth to mm -hmm. them. So to you, losing $250,000 was not just about the amount, but about what it signified for your life, right? Because you tied it in to you being the provider for the family and you, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming like taking care of, you know, four girls and, and your wife and the house or whatever, the food, like that was a lot of pressure that you put on yourself and telling yourself that you're now not taking care of all these people and it's all your fault when objectively if we zoom out from your situation and that's why having a coach is helpful because obviously you're in your own head you can't see that but you said something that i lost a lot of money or a significant amount of money two hundred fifty thousand dollars for some people a quarter million is not a lot of money so it is your circumstance in your particular life where you put that meaning, oh, this is a lot of money. And what it means is now I'm not providing for my family. And, you know, that pressure that you created on yourself created a lot of a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, because shame typically occurs when we have an idea of what we want to be and what our life should be. And we're not living up to that expectation. That disconnect is what creates shame. But the reality is, is the reality is what happened. And we're humans and failure happens to so what I usually teach. I love how you were saying it's not going to last forever. And that's, that's mm -hmm. the truth. Emotions don't last forever. The way I teach my people is typically, I like this. I love this exercise. I always tell them, imagine you're to talking to a Martian, you know, like a little, um, a little alien and you're saying, Oh, I feel so much shame. I, I lost a quarter million dollars. I can't support my family. And the Martian looks at you and like, they, they have no concept of emotion. Like, what a shame. Seems like something really terrible. Like, you're very afraid of it. You're very upset. Like, describe to me what shame is. 
And I teach my clients to describe that emotion. What does it feel in your body? Not the meaning you, you give it, because that's what we tend to go to. Oh, yeah, I feel so much shame because I'm the primary breadwinner, because now I have four girls and that I'm not taking care of. That is the meaning. That's not the physical feeling in your body. But if you had to physically describe it, you would start like I, like I gave you before, you know, if it feels this, I probably feel pit in my stomach. It, it, it's very different for everyone. You know, I, I, I feel like I want to hide, you know, heavy eyes, whatever that was for you. And, and the whole process of describing physically what an emotion feels in your body lessens the grip that emotion has in you. That is very, very helpful exercise. And then the more you do it, the lesser and lesser than grip gets. And then to do what you are doing, to let that emotion be there, vibrate for as long as it takes. What most people do is they just, they just, they're in a hurry to get out of there. They're in a hurry to get out of pain. But the more you're in a hurry, the longer it's going to linger, unfortunately. That's the truth. So the more you open up to it, I know it sounds scary, but it actually works. The more you let that emotion come in, the faster it's going to pass like a wave. So that's, this is the big secret to describe it physically in your body and to open up, not to run away from it and just allow it to be there. I always like to give that example of, um, I had a client who had clinically diagnosed anxiety, right? So she worked with a psychiatrist, therapist and then with me with a life coach and that and she literally had a chemical imbalance in her brain that's why she was on medication that was helpful but there was still like a psychological like a thought component to it and she just couldn't get rid of it so what I told her is just don't fight it treat it as a heavy purse you have to carry around with you all day Imagine that shame is just a heavy purse. You wake up. Oh, you're there. Okay, good morning. Come along. Let's go about my day. Let's brush teeth together. Let's go work out together. You know, what's next on my agenda? I don't buy a new office, work somewhere. I don't know your circumstances specific, but you go through your day and you're not fighting it. You're not thinking, oh, when is it going to end? You know, let me watch something positive. Don't try to jump away from it. Open to it. Welcome it. And when you do that, when you open up, the emotion will pass much faster. So that's my my best tip. That seems very akin to Buddhism, where a lot of the suffering in life comes from, you think life should be one way, it's actually another way. Yeah. And if you can close that gap, you'll have less suffering. Yeah, I like that. I, I never really thought about it this way. Um, but we talk a lot in coaching about, we'll call it clean pain and dirty pain. And I'm referring to an emotional okay. pain. I'm not referring to physical pain, although they're connected. Um, but when we have, let's say, you can even have an example of a physical uh, physical pain, really. Like you, you break your, let's say you're a dancer and you, you break a leg, right? There's a physical component to it, like your, your fracture hurts. But then there's an emotional component because now you're thinking, oh, I can't dance. Either I can't do what I love to do or i can't make money now like my income suffers because i can't dance and then every time you see somebody on the on the street who walks or somebody who dances on tv you're also making it mean that you're somewhat somehow limited now restricted less than that is the suffering that you're creating on top of a physical pain and that works like i said for physical pain but also for emotional pain Let's say you are going through a breakup, right? There's a clean pain of you were with someone, you love them, and they are no longer in your life. And then there is an additional suffering on top of it when you're thinking, I'll never going to meet anyone like that. You know, this was my only chance. This was my one and only. And now I'm going to be alone forever. And no one is as good enough. Or now I have to go back and date. So you're adding all that suffering, all the drama through your thinking on top of just clean pain, where I suggest that you process that initial pain of, of grief. You just grief that relationship. Yeah, that happened. And I'm going to be okay. And I'm just going to be with that pain for as long as it takes. And we're going to move on. You will get out on the other side so much faster than kind of sinking in between that clean and, and dirty pain. 
that makes sense. So clean pain seems like an initial normal emotional response. And then dirty yeah. pain is possibly future ruminations about the future consequences of the initial event. Yeah, it's the the meaning, the interpretation that you're giving to your current circumstance that is not serving okay. you. This, you. Some people call it overthinking in a way where it's it's it leads to more negative emotions. That's what I'm talking about, that suffering that you're adding on top of it. And I always like to teach people that pain is inevitable, right? Have you looked around? Our life is full mm -hmm. of pain, you know, and we're all trying to be happy, but there's still a lot of pain. And maybe, just maybe, it is because of it was designed like that. Maybe life is not supposed to be all great. And I teach people a concept of 50-50. There's a balance because if you're always happy and cheerful, you're not even going to know that you're happy because you need that contrast. You need to compare, right? So going through pain is an inevitable part of life and accepting that it's going to be there is your best bet at going through that pain the fastest and the easier way versus trying to argue with it. And why did that happen? Why did that happen to me? And what if it's going to happen in the future and you know, all these consequences? is adding suffering to already painful situations. It's kind of like you're bringing your attention back to now. And so yeah. not only am I a dentist, I have a PhD in overthinking. So a lot. <laughs> so I love that. I just listening to you, half my suffering is dirty pain, if not more, because I'm always thinking uh -huh. like, how would this affect me five, 10 years down the road? Yeah. So yeah. do you tell your clients that pain is not good or bad. It just kind of is what it is. I mean, I don't think pain is good or bad. I, I know that we as a society think that pain is bad, but I, like I said, I don't teach people that things are good or bad. It, it is this black and white binary thinking, which is very normal for our brains, right? Because that's how we quickly judge things. And being able to quickly judge something is important for your survival, right? You want to quickly detect, uh, detect is that uh, danger or is it okay right now? You know, this person, the red light or whatever is around us. But black and white thinking typically is what gets people in trouble where they become very, um, you know, binary about their opinions in life. And as we probably know by now, there is a lot of gray, gray area in between. And that's why, um, you know, labeling things and pain as good or bad is just not useful for you because, you know, first of all, it doesn't feel good. So if you label it as good, then you will probably seek, you would want to seek more, more of it. Right. And it depends what kind, right? If you're lifting weights, pain is it's a good pain because that's how you build muscle tissue. You have to break it down to build it back up. So you may want to look at pain as good in that matter, but I, I teach people to you get, look at things as useful or not. That's a useful pain because your goal is to build muscle tissue. So you need to break it down through effective weight training and then grow it more through your diet and rest so that you can get to your goal of whatever you want to build the muscle mass. And so in some situations is useful and in others is not. I'm just like connecting the dots as you're talking. So it sounds like a good way is establish the goal you want to get to and not only think are your actions mm -hmm. useful think like are these thoughts useful to get to that goal yeah thoughts is the foundation of everything because all the text all the actions that we take they stem from they're driven by your emotions like everything is do everything we do is driven by an emotion but all of the time we don't notice that it happens so fast, but it is there and all emotions are created by our thinking. That's like a big wake up aha moment that a lot of people don't realize, like, because again, we're never taught that everything we feel or emotions, like curiosity that you feel right now or concentration or focus is because of something you're thinking. Oh, I want to understand her. What is she saying? Oh, that's interesting. How can I apply it? You have all these thoughts, right? I'm guessing just by They're reading your face. They're all true. So you have, 
that you're reading, that you're thinking all these thoughts and these are the emotions that they're creating. And these emotions are going to drive your actions, which is ask for more, ask her for an example. Can you clarify? This is an example from my life. Can, can she give me more clarification so I can apply and connect the dots? So all of your actions come from your emotions and thoughts. So we, that's why coaching teaches you how to think thoughts on purpose so that you create, you can create on the back end, the life that you want. But it all starts with That's crazy. I have so many thoughts for it. Like, what are you doing, you stupid brain? (laughs) Um, Yeah, ask away. (laughs) This sounds very familiar to the map is not the territory. Have you heard that phrase in Uh neuro-linguistic programming? The the map is not, I haven't heard that. It's basically like like, we have objective reality and the, the meaning on it is our brain. It comes from our brain. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, there's a gray area and we can definitely change yeah. the meaning of it by the way, the lens, like we talked yesterday, our lens on the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because it, like you said, our brain is an interpretation machine, right? It needs to make sense of what we're seeing, what we are, the way we're interacting with the world is through our like senses, right? All, all of the senses that we have. And our brain interprets it in our, you know, in our brain. We interpret it through our brain, and then we make the meaning of what's going on around us. And the way we interpret things, the way we see it, is not an objective reality. It is our reality, and that's where people get tripped up. Because the number one thing, the number one exercise that I do with people when they come to me with any problem, coaching can literally solve any problem. And I know it sounds like a loaded promise, but it really does because all problems stems from your thinking. You know, people call it belief system or whatever you want to call it, but beliefs are just constantly like a group of thoughts that you've been thinking over and over and over again. So there's an, there's an objective reality, objective world around us, but we're all interpreted through a lens in our brain. I was even telling you yesterday about the this part of our brain called reticular activating system, RAS, that has a function of looking for patterns in the outside world to interpret it faster. There's so many stimuli in the world that are happening. And if we were to pay attention to each and every one of them, our brain would literally explode. So we need to categorize things. So we can move through through life through the day faster <laughs> and don't just stand there and admire the table because we would think oh my gosh what's the height what's the weight with which velocity we have to go so we don't kick it like there's so much going on there that our brain just starts oh it's a table it's safe let's go like that's we pass the table and we go to the living room so these patterns become just unconscious they're just running on autopilot and all these patterns you either learned, you just tried something and you stored it in your memory. Oh, okay, you know, the table is safe or something that you heard from someone, you know, money don't grow on trees, your mom said. So you, you store it in your head and mom was an authority because there were your parents responsible for your life basically. And you store it as, oh, okay, so it's hard to make money. So I need to work really hard. I need to have good grades. All of these are thoughts. There are not facts as, um, something objective that can prove it in a court of law. That's the difference between facts and thoughts. And then you start filtering your reality and looking for a confirmation bias to what you believe. And that's how we get into these problems where if you're thinking losing weight is hard, then you will approach your hunger, you'll approach working out through a lens of difficulty. And so you will interpret everything you do as as hard. And that will not help you get to your goals. And then were you saying yesterday on the phone that when you confirm your confirmation bias, your brain gives you a hit of dopamine. Mm-hmm. So it actually like rewards you for confirming your ineffective yeah. belief system. Yeah. So whenever you find patterns, the brain has the, you know, the brain releases a lot of chemicals. That's basically how our emotions are created too. It's through thoughts, but these thoughts generate a cascade of neurotransmitters or hormones released in our body, right? The uh, adrenaline, cortisol, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, all these hormones, all this hormonal cocktail, by the way, all six of the pleasure hormones create the state of flow. Just a side note, <laughs> I just listened, recently learned it from a great book. It's 
called the uh, the Art of Impossible by Stephen Cutler. I highly recommend. I think okay. you're gonna love it. Um, but all these um, hormones and neurotransmitters is what drives our physiology and our actions. So the brain wants to find patterns because it's a faster and more efficient way to to live life. And whenever you find a pattern, there's a little bit of a hit of dopamine, a feel-good hormone in your brain. So you feel rewarded to repeat that action. And so, for example, when you're solving uh, crosswords, right, you will notice that once you figure out one word, it's like easier to figure out another one. Now you know one little letter and you'll get another one. Like suddenly you can get another one because pattern recognition happens. It stacks the, the brain kind of gets in that flow state and you start noticing things faster and faster. That's why uh, in productivity, people recommend stacking your creativity hours or times because you are likely to create more when you're in that state of noticing patterns and creating things rather than try to like force to do it at a certain time. But regardless, yes, like I said, the brain looks for these patterns and then you keep looking for more and more and more. And when people come into me and they have a problem, it is because there is a pattern of how they're thinking about that issue, right? Like, for example, I had a client who has a lot of these picky, demanding, difficult patients, right? So she says, I, you know, every, like every day I have these patients who are showing up without appointments or, you know, they want to be seen and they ask me a million of questions and I'm writing behind. And the reason why she has these patients has to do with the way she's approaching her whole entire practice, the way she's looking when the, you know, obviously these people came through the door at the initial consult and she accepted them as a patient of record. And how many times we have these difficult patients, we see red flags in the consultation. It almost never happens that we see, we don't see any red flags. We have this angel patient and then they turn into a monster. Like that never happens. <laughs> There's always red flags at the beginning. But some doctors choose to overlook them and they accept these patients and then they obviously end up being a problem and other doctors are more discerning. So she had that pattern of thinking about herself and her practice that was not serving her in the sense that she was attracting those demanding patients, but she didn't see that for herself. She had to tell me a lot of information on how she was dealing with these people and what was happening in the consultation for me to be able to say, oh, did you know that, you know, you are, you feel a lot of financial pressure when they're there. So of course you'll be less discerning and you're trying to like sign them up to be patients of record. She was also having, you know, taking things personally. She wanted to please people, you know, people pleasing is big, is big you know, among um, caretakers. You know, if, if I see a back on an upset patient, that means I'm a bad doctor. I didn't do my job well. I want, the, I want them to be happy. And we as doctors cannot take the responsibility of making people happy because happiness is an emotion created by thoughts. We cannot control their thoughts. Our, all we can do is a great dental work. <laughs> but the patient decides whether they love it or not. We can control that part. But we think we do. And that's how we get in trouble thinking, oh, I'm going to go above and beyond for this patient. I'm going to make it work, you know, and they're going to be happy. And when you when your brain thinks like that, you will accept these difficult patients in your practice and you'll end up not understanding why. Why do I always it's got to be the pra the geographic area where I practice. It's got to be all the referring dentists that are sending me these people. When in the reality, you're the gatekeeper. You're trying to please them. You maybe not quite comfortable in your skills and you don't want to be very discerning with what you can promise and what you cannot. So you overpromise and then end up under delivering for these people. And you're literally creating this, this problem for yourself. So in yeah, that situation, it's not that your client is, has a belief system that attracts bad patients, but she has other circumstances going on and it leads her to create actions that just attract them but like she doesn't want these bad patients Does that question make sense yeah a little bit so circumstances never create any actions in us we always have thoughts about circumstances that drive all our actions okay. so she 
she has the her main belief system was that she wants to make everyone happy. Okay. You know, she her job as a doctor is you know they're paying for something is to make them happy. Like that's why they're here. Like I need to satisfy their chief complaint. And you as a doctor know that sometimes we cannot satisfy their chief complaint. Sometimes it's unrealistic. Sometimes it's outside of our scope, right? Sometimes no one can help them. They have something going on else <laughs> in their life where changing their smile may not be the best the best option for them, no matter how you know much money we can make on that patient or you know how much we can help them, we will not be able to help them. And realizing that about yourself, that pattern that you tend to want to please people because then you think that you're a good person, you're a good doctor. That is the pattern that was everywhere because she came to me wanting help with demanding patients. But the more we talked, she also had problems with her staff. You know, her staff was kind of taking advantage of her, right? She was doing going above and beyond for them too. Same thing was happening in a personal relationship. So that's where that pattern, not necessarily that thought, you know, I want demanding patients. I don't think anybody thinks yeah. like that. Yeah, but the thought that, you know, I want to please people. Like, I am a good person. I feel good about myself when everyone around me is happy. That was a pattern that was not serving her at all. Is this client secretly me? Is that what you're going to tell? <laughs> can you identify? I think a lot of us caretakers Oh, my gosh. So if I can guess her train of beliefs, we'll say her train of thoughts, it's, if I please everyone, they'll love me. If they love yeah. me, I'm worthwhile. If I'm worthwhile, I'm a good person. And how? Yeah, yeah that's why. I always, uh, how often ahead. are you seeing this people pleasing in your clients? Yeah, it's very, very common. I mean, we as doctors, as dentists, especially, we are professional perfectionists, professionally trained. Like they literally train us to create 0.2 millimeter margins on the ground, right? In orthodontics, the same thing. You look for, you live in the world of millimeters and perfectionism always goes hand in hand with people pleasing. Because imperfectionism is such a black and white mentality. There's right and there's wrong. And you always want the right, which is perfect, <laughs> which is unattainable. I'm laughing because we all know it's unattainable, unattainable but then we secretly are thinking, yeah, but I'm but at this time, it's going to happen this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're like, but, but I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to get so close. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> you always, you always want to be realistic. And then when your skill or your knowledge cannot get to perfection, you overcompensate by people pleasing. That's when you see letting people. And without appointments, you know, sending uh, lengthy emails, having calls back on your day off and all these things where you start breaking boundaries. Because the root of both of these things is we as doctors, most of us tend to associate our own self-worth with us being a doctor, with our work. And I always tell people your self-worth is, is absolute. It's complete. There's nothing you can do to make it any higher or any lower. It's just not possible. We all humans are born 100% worthy. And there's nothing you can do to make it higher or lower. Like I always like to give an example of a rose. Like picture a rose, a flower. Can you make a rose any more worthy? What, what does the rose have to do? It has to do to be more worthy or less worthy. Nothing. It's just there. It's beautiful. <laughs> or it's not beautiful if you hate roses, but it's, there's nothing you can do. But we don't look at ourselves this way. We always tie in, especially, you know, high achievers, high performing type A people, we always tie in our accomplishments with what does it mean about us? Right? We want A's, we want the best work, we want reviews, we want money, and we're chasing all these accomplishments, but there's always a price to pay. You know, the pain and pleasure are two sides of one thing, a desire. And as long as you're desiring something next and next and next, there's always going to be this balance of pain and pleasure, which is the way things are. So not to, separating the two, your self-worth with what you're, you want in life and what you're doing and your goals 
is very, very important to have that healthy balance and not, you know, fall down in these deep negative emotions for a long time. This is a very unuseful thought, but it seems very difficult <laughs> from my perspective to separate self-worth uh -huh. from achievements because you're the same way yeah. you're an orthodontist. When you achieved something big, your brain was like, you did it. You're awesome. And when you failed, your brain's like, maybe in the past, like, you're not awesome. You didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So how are your clients separating their self-worth from achievements? Yeah, it, it takes a lot of poking holes in that thought that it's difficult to separate or I am my achievements and practicing that long enough until it becomes true to you, until your brain starts detecting this new pattern that me as, as who I am and my accomplishments are not connected. And are people doing this? Oh, right? Because remember, your, uh -huh, yeah, your brain is a computer that just wants to detect patterns. And right now, it detected that pattern. It found confirmation bias in the world. And clients fighting you tooth and nail that, no, 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 but that, that's true. <laughs> you know, my self-worth is connected to what I'm doing. And of course it's true. But what makes something true? Like, we never really think about it. What makes something true? It's not that it's a fact. It's that we believe it. That's what makes something true. And beliefs are thoughts that we can change. So when somebody comes with this very strong belief about tying in themselves to their achievements, through many examples, you start poking holes. Like I start showing them a different perspective where them tying their self-worth to their achievement did not help them, but it hurt them. Like I can give you an example. Just recently, I had a client where, um, some like had again difficult patients something went wrong and you know all this back and forth and then in the end the patient wants a refund right and uh, i think she come or the dentist is dreading this conversation right the patient is going to come in the office what i'm going to say and uh, the dentist was explaining to me what she's going to say back to this patient and, and she was in a, like she sounded very defensive but I didn't do anything wrong. It was the right treatment plan from the very beginning. She had these recessions or whatever the case might be. And the reason we, we get this defensive is because we don't want to feel like it was our fault, right? Like we want to prove that, no, we're right. And you're wrong, patient. We didn't do anything right. We didn't do anything wrong. So you're wrong for asking a refund. Because if we give you a refund, it means that we made a mistake. And we want to accept a mistake because it means that we're not a good doctor. And what I was showing her is that she just wants to control the patient so she could feel better about herself as a doctor. So it's not even caring so much about the patient, but about how you're going to feel. But if you separated how you feel about yourself from what, from the work you did, it's not going to, you're not going to go fight tooth and nail with that patient. If you separate that, you know, I'm a great doctor no matter what, and of course, like drop into compassion, I can understand why the patient could feel this way. You know, she, she developed recessions. She doesn't understand that no matter how much I explain, she, you know, she's not a dentist. She doesn't quite understand that. Now she's scared. When we're scared, we're looking for someone to blame. That's it. She's just a human looking for someone to blame. And here I am in front of her. That means nothing about myself, but because she needs some reassurance. So how can I help her in the situation? Like I always like to give this analogy. We're not against the patient. We're with them and their condition is on the other team. So if we're together here looking at your teeth, what can we do to find, you know, a compromise or a solution? And when you walk through these examples, you know, you start understanding, oh, so it's not me. Like it's not really serving me to associate my self-worth with the work, because once I dissociate the two, then I can be more objective and have like a cl more clear head, like in this example, talking to the patient. And that's exactly what I want. I don't want to go there defensive. I don't want her storming out and writing me a bad review and asking for a refund or even coming in with a lawyer. 
but it's not going to happen as long as I drop into more compassion and understanding and I walk this with you. So once you start going down and granular to these examples, your brain opens up to see the possibilities of doing it differently. And when you see more of these possibilities, the brain thinks, oh, maybe this could be my new reality, you know, and it feels good to do it differently without resistance and just feeling all this frustration and stress and, you know, all these negative emotions at the beginning that the, the dentist felt. And when something feels good, we tend to do more of it. So then eventually your brain opens up and you start seeing these new patterns. And eventually you believe that, you know, my, my self-worth is absolute. Me being a doctor is not a thing. And there's going to be cases where I win. There's going to be cases where I lose. It's not that, or not lose, sorry, win and learn. It's not like I win and lose. There's no failure or success. There's success and learning opportunity that helps me create maybe a new protocol or something like that. So it's just a different, like different perspective shift to look at it. So it sounds like with her, you would ask this client, is your goal to make yourself feel better in the moment when talking to the patient? Or is your goal to find a solution together to fix her problem? And if you, is that kind of what, like you had to think of the goal and what's a useful way to get to it, not think, how can I make myself feel better in this moment? Yeah. So whenever something like this occurs, there's two things that I do. Um, I do always tell people, so how do you want, but I don't say, I don't say it in a way, like, how do you want this um, situation to resolve? Because if that situation involves, uh, involves another person, we can't control them, right? We can only control ourselves. So the only true question that we can ask is, how do you want this situation to resolve for you? Meaning, how do you want to feel after that conversation? How did you show up for that client like, or that patient? What is the end goal? Because remember, the end goal of everything is we feeling an emotion of something. The reason why the dentist doesn't want to give a refund is because of some emotion. If she gives a refund, she's probably going to feel um, maybe defeated or insecure or some negative emotion about herself. And if she doesn't give a refund, maybe she'll feel victorious or like she succeeded. Right. So how can you have that emotion and not try to push or control the other person? So that's number one thing that I do with people. And honestly, the majority of the time, people just want to feel um, that they're not at fault. Like they want to feel heard and they want to feel um, appreciated. Really, that's that's what we want. Uh, you know, most of the doctors work really hard and, and we just want to feel appreciated. And a little tip I can give all your audiences um how our patients show appreciation is by paying us fees for the treatment. That's appreciation. All the Yelp reviews and them saying thank you and bringing flowers and chocolates, that's all extra. That's not expected. <laughs> like, don't expect that. If your patient agreed to have treatment with you and they paid money for it, they appreciate your work. The rest, just drop all your expectations. You'll be such a happier, more happier doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hope that kind of explains yeah. a little bit. Whatever. I love this. I could talk to you all day. So I know I'm like getting in the weeds. No, I, <laughs> I love it. So we definitely have to have a part two, but we're coming up in the hour mark. And I, I always ask two okay. questions at the end. The first question is, yeah. what's one major takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this hour? Hmm. The one major takeaway. Honestly, this, the main thing is always to know that your thoughts create all your emotions. That simple sentence, if you truly understand that, will change everything in your life. You are in control of how you feel. How you want to feel, you got to change your thoughts about it. Your whole life will change. That's probably the main nugget. Yeah. And I know it seems a little weird, but the more you think about it, it will it will create the biggest impact on your life. And I would challenge everyone, myself included, to think more useful thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah. The, the trick is, though, you need to believe okay. that. 
That's why affirmations don't work because just saying, you know, I'm thin, I'm thin, I'm thin when you're 30 pounds overweight is not going to work because you see the reality, you see how you look, you know, your weight, I mean, you're not, you're not going to believe it, but you need to find a thought that you believe and only then it will generate a genuine true emotion in you. That's, oh my gosh, I've yet to come back immediately. Um, so <laughs> tell us, I know you're at No Stress DDS, tell us where people can find your amazing work, how they can contact you, and if they want to work with you, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, um, so I'm, I mostly live on social media, on Instagram and LinkedIn, and also on Facebook, so we can leave the contact information Great. there. Um, so what I usually do is I do free consultations with people and there's all information there. So for a whole hour, we talked to see what, what the issue is and what the patterns you have that are preventing you from getting where you want to get. And um, if we are a good fit, then I work with people for three months. I still work exclusively one-on-one, just how we're talking right now, because um, I love, like you, have one-on-one conversations with people because I feel like I create the most impact. Um, and I also do almost every month free webinars, trainings, master classes, and I announce all of that on my Are the webinars media. on so Facebook? Uh, no, I host oh, them on okay. Zoom. And then they can find mm -hmm. the Zoom link yeah. where for the webinars? I, every, on all my social media. I always put all those. It's different webinars okay. every month on different topics, and they're all free. Um, and all the links I leave on all my social okay. media. If you're not working with yeah. Dr. K, you're silly. Um, <laughs> she's amazing. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. That yeah, was we'll really fun. A, I'm glad we got into a Yeah, we'll topics. have a part two very soon. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, talk I can't to you wait. soon. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.